welcome back to the Country House podcast Christmas special. And for this Christmas episode, we have an incredibly special guest. We have the Duchess of Rutland. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Your Grace. How are you? Oh, that's so kind. I'm well. I'm absolutely shattered, to be honest, but I'm delighted to be on your podcast. And uh, thank you, Ben, so much for those kind words. Do please call me Emma. Okay, I, I will, Emma. Thank you. And to start, we wondered for those who may not be familiar with Beaver Castle, could you paint us a picture of the setting and talk to us a bit about that? I certainly can. And what an honour it is to be able to describe my home to the listeners. So this majestic, towering, sort of Walt Disney-style castle sits peeping its turrets out of the trees, high on a hill in Middle England, when in 1066, um, the, David's family arrived um he, David's ancestor was actually the standard bearer to William the Conqueror, and he arrived at these lands in the middle of England, and in that impeccable French accent, he declared, Belle voix, beautiful view. And as we know, the English have never been able to pronounce the French, and so over the generations it became beaver, which of course in America has many connotations that I won't go into here and now, but I always get a bit of a, a lift of the eyebrow. But um, no, it's Beaver Castle. It's spelled B-E-L-V-O-I-R. And yes, and let me tell you, on this particular day before Christmas in 2023, it's very warm because luckily now we heat it with uh, wood chip uh, ings, wood chippings from the estate. And so we're very eco-friendly. And what's happening at Beaver Castle at the moment? You've got uh, you've teamed up with Charlotte Lloyd Webber to create uh, a Christmas sort of uh, festival in Beaver Castle, and it's themed on the twelve days of Christmas. Is that right? That is absolutely right, Ben. And I've, it's fascinating because we're very, very last on. We're last to join this group of stately homes throughout the British Isles who are really focusing on the Christmas period. So uh, Blenheim have been doing this beautifully for many years, so has Castle Howard, so many of the others. So we're, we're very much um, we're coming to this more lately. However, what fascinates me is the fascination that people have with stately homes at Christmas. And if you're not a churchgoer, this might be your one connection with a heritage building over the festive period. So we have music, we have choirs, we have readings. We really do try and bring the whole festive period alive and alight with the celebrations of um, the birth of Jesus. Thanks, Emma. Um, Emma, that's really interesting. I mean, it's it's interesting to hear... Um, how you're adapting to the 21st century and celebrating Christmas at Beaver today. Can you tell us a bit about historically what Christmas might have looked like at Beaver maybe say 100, 120 years ago um, and, and how it's changed and why it's changed? Well, yes, 100 years ago, and I, uh, I was talking to you the other day and I'd love to share this with our listeners about the family then was very similarly uh, combination to what it is now there were three girls and two boys 
And so they were um, Diana Cooper, who was Manners then, uh, Letty, who was actually Violet Manners, and Marjorie. They all married into aristocracy. And as we know, Lady Diana Manners married Duff Cooper at the end of the Second World War and became ambassador in Paris. And the records that we have when um, Violet was Duchess here, and I always relate it to the women, it is, you know, magnificent Christmases when they're ev the family all gathered together in this monumental building. But Diana wrote about the freezing cold of Beaver at Christmas and how black capes would hang outside the room as they wrapped them round themselves and ran to the next warm room and how the candleman would come and light all the candles on the Christmas tree. Can you imagine? This is where the fire problems came in with, you know, hand-lit candles. And that must have been, well, one a risk. Health and safety wouldn't let that through now. But magnificent, just watching each and every candle. And underneath the tree, Jeff, there was a gift for every person on the estate. So all the tenants and farmers and people who worked here, as I do today, by the way, but um, I have to say, this my office that I'm doing this interview in is covered in gifts, and there's always some that I sadly forget. But um, yes, I, we've tried so hard to keep the tra tradition alive and going, but it must have been magnificent, apart from the cold. And how many, how many um, people were working in the castle? Not on the estate necessarily, but in the castle at that time. The records are, Jeff, that at that time, sort of, um, but just between the wars, before the Second World War, there was about 60 members of staff. They weren't all living here, but they were all working here in the castle. So the footman, the bellman, the, um, you know, the gong man, the flag man, the chauffeurs, the valets, the ladies' maids, they were all part of this enormous dynasty and i've just been in palm beach and i was doing um a recording for the four arts which is in the middle of palm beach uh, which is a great and funny enough they brought up a pot i did a podcast relating to julian fellow's podcast that he did in 1994 in palm beach talking just about this the household staff the christmases and the inspiration he had for Downton Abbey. And I was really relating it back to how it is now, Jeff. And we have, just to put things into perspective for the listener, we have three part-time cleaners. We have a butler that will come and go as we have guests here. We have a full-time chef, but she's mainly in the tea room. She's called Jane, she's unbelievable doing all the afternoon teas and over Christmas we have lots of um, Christmas specials for a festive uh, occasion so I think we've been doing a combined ticket for Christmas dinner with coming into the castle um, so it's a very very different position and role and place uh, uh, the only day that we will call truly our own is Christmas Day and we're even open on Christmas Eve so Christmas is an enormous revenue stream for private heritage and it's something that I embrace I reach out to anyone who's not doing it and say 
yeah, your area, you should be doing it. Emma, I was wondering what um, traditions the Manor's family has at Beaver Castle that perhaps of the previous generation or the current, your, your current family that happens around Christmas time? Well, this is a naughty one, Connor, but I know you've got an amazing sense of humour because you have to, because you have that wonderful lilt in your voice. So at Christmas, we have, a, um, we have family shooting and hunting. We're passionate about our hunting and we're passionate about supporting it in the correct way. And we have a, a, sh a commercial shoot here. So um, we have thousands and thousands of geese, which have created a real problem for our grazing and our sheep because they eat as much grass as a sheep does. So we have a Christmas Eve shoot generally, and we have um, a bridge called Kennel Bridge, and the guns stand round the... And by the way, uh, I've had a lot of feedback on this from people who listen. Every single bird that is shot here, beaver, goes straight into the food chain. So we believe in being the hunter-gatherer that eats everything that we kill. Not personally, but everything is eaten. So um, I have nothing... Uh, that I'm nervous about here at Beaver with shooting, and I don't think most shooting people do. So anyway, on that particular day at Kennel Bridge on Christmas Eve, the guns, they go on the bridge, and um, and the first person to shoot a goose has to dive into the freezing water and retrieve it. So that's one of our traditions, Connor. Another tradition is that, of course, with all these chimney pots, we never know which chimney Father Christmas will be coming down. And so it has been known for Father Christmas to be seen out of a window. And there's a big chase that goes on following Father Christmas with his ding-a-ling ding. And we chase him to find out which chimney he's descending. So that's another tradition. We all go to church to Bottisford on Christmas morning. And for breakfast on Christmas morning, we all will have, always have baked ham and Cumberland sauce and a boiled egg, quite simple, and then come back for roast. And always make sure we make uh, the king's speech, which is a very important part of our day. And so we'll all be gathering around and listening to His Majesty King Charles. Excellent. Just continuing with um, shooting, for our listeners who don't, um, perhaps they're not familiar with field sports, what um, impact does shooting have on the estate in terms of conservation, planting of covers and um, deciding where you're planting trees and just game well, crops? Um, well, thank you so much for shining a light on this hot topic, which can be seen as, you know, the rich and I'm a Welsh farmer's daughter by um, birth and so I know uh, what shooting brings to a rural community on every level and the employment it brings we employ well over 100 people on the shoot day and the rural community for the pubs and uh, the restaurants and um, keeping everything, uh, the, as you rightly say, all the drives and the cover crops. Um, fun, fun enough, Connor, 
we have, and I'd love to show you, but you're not in the room, but I've got on the wall of my office a fabulous drawing that Capability Brown did that he left in our archives that we've been lucky enough to finish off in my tenure here at Beaver. And one of those would be exactly as Brown intended the woods to be created. So woods have been put where the cover crops were. And I planted nearly a million trees now here at Beaver to, to really sculpture this landscape and a landscape that's rich in wildlife, rich in uh, the fauna flora that we need to survive our lives. We've got, I put in 70 beehives, put in a vineyard recently and then, and, um, a heritage apple orchard. So we're, ve but it all can be seen because we're not brilliant. And this most probably is my fault because I'm too busy with the next project. I'm really telling people what we're doing conservation wise. So that's my mission this year is we're going to be far more proactive about telling people exactly what we're doing and what bird life is here and what we're trying to reinstate uh, wildlife wise. And shooting is a key part of making that happen. Plus, of course, your keepers help you protect the countryside and police all your villages. And as we know, with you know the forces struggling to keep um, uh, places safe, um, you wouldn't want to come up across any of my keepers on a dusky evening. Let me tell you. <laughs> do, do you? <laughs> Thanks, Emma. I was just going to ask one more question on that, Emma, that um, with the gamekeeping on the estate, do you find that on the keepered land, you will see a richness of uh, fauna and uh, bird song and, and animals that otherwise you wouldn't see on just the open countryside that is not keepered? Well, you're right. Absolutely, Connor, because what... What we can show anyone wanting to come and look at what we've created here is 20 acres uh, of um, restored wetlands that we've reintroduced with lakes and ponds. And you've just got to sit next to those on an evening and watch the widgets and all the different wildlife and bird life that come in. Our entire estate is keepered. Everything is run by our keepers. So there's not an inch that we're not looking after with the keepers. And it's quite staggering. You know, we have birds of prey galore. I think we had 50 red kites behind the combine this year at harvest. Um, we've got a lake up at Croce and Carroll, which is this fabulous um, ancient uh, monastery site, which we've, we've, which we've got some wonderful lakes where there are about 40 different types of um, ducks coming in and laying and so forth. So there's no end to what we're doing. As you, the fauna flora that we should be describing, we're not greater. I think we're, we're not dissimilar to many country people. We're doing the job. We've been doing it for generations. We've never questioned the balance of nature. We believe in keeping this countryside alive for generations to enjoy, but we've not been great at doing what all the um, leg legislative people expect us to do now. And so that's, we've got to get better at that. And uh, we certainly will. 
but um, I think talking about the, the role of or your roles as stewards and and custodians overseeing Beaver and um, can you talk a little bit more about the role of of the house in within local communities as well? Your role uh, in local communities and and especially how that's reflected at Christmas time. You know, you say you go to uh, the local parish church for for Christmas. Do you go to midnight service? Is, do you still have strong links with, with the villages around you? That sort of stuff. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah. So Beaver, I think the thing that really brought it to life in a, an enormous way was COVID, funny enough, because everyone reconnected with their local stately home. And uh, we had thousands of people just arriving here in flocks just to walk and reconnect with us because they couldn't drive very far. So Beaver is the the focal part of its local community. So it's like a beacon of uh, stability and continuation. And our role in that is huge. Um, And through whether it's the retail village that we created on the estate for our local community, which we um, did just before COVID in 2012, or it's um, what we do. I think charity-wise, what we do for charities within our community is enormous. We've had one Santa's run after another leading up to Christmas, runs, charity runs. We had a charity event here for the Rosie May Foundation. So you become this beacon of support um and and that's how you connect i've set up a cricket and countryside trust on the estate we bring about six thousand children out of nottingham leicester lincoln all the surrounding cities to teach them about the countryside and um about cricket as well and so that's another wonderful way you connect and even i think this week we have um Sadly, any children that no school will now include, they go to schools that are run by private companies. We've got about 200 children on the estate are living in properties on the Beaver Estate. And I work with those children a lot in giving them some fun in our adventure playground. And it came around Christmas the other day. So um, I really believe in the next generation. I really believe in children. And that's how we can work and help and support. Hearing about the community aspect and how you get involved with them and uh, empowering the next generation, I I think that's really inspiring. And I know um, Connor was telling us about someone he was speaking to who owned a country house. And after listening to this podcast uh, before, he hadn't realized as much just the role that you can have on the local economy and the local community. And uh, even my sister-in-law, her family, I know, has a family tradition. Every year since she was young, they visit Beaver as a family and go around. And so it's it's so nice to hear about those traditions. But uh, I wanted to pick up on a quote that I heard you say, that uh, living in, in the estate is a Sisyphean task, I think you referred to it as. And how how active is your role and why is it um what's the big... word you used i'm very dyslexic so i didn't really get that word you you said sisyphean did i gosh i can't yeah. yeah. say it <laughs> i i think you did <laughs> what does it mean what does sisyphean mean Connor? Uh, insurmountable impossible or constantly constantly working 
Well, I definitely would have said that, but I love that <laughs> word. Um, so, um, what, what's your question again? Uh, I'd love to hear more about your role and how active it is in, in the upkeep and running of the estate. Well, it's it's huge. It, it doesn't matter. And, and the, my children keep telling me, Mum, the problem with you is you don't have a hobby. Your hobby is your job. And so when you give up being doing what you do here, what will you do? You, you It's too late to learn how to play bridge or golf. I'll most probably you'll find me washing up plates at the fuel tank at the engine yard because I can wash up and I'm quite, I can cook a bit. So what it, it's never ending. So I'm off a plane. I'm back in the office. I've been signing invoices. I'm looking at Christmas and, and looking at figures and comparing them to last year, which very sadly are down. I think we've got a tough time ahead of us. And um, it's never ending. And keeping stable mentally with that has sometimes been a challenge, particularly for me. So, it's, yeah, you can do the best you can every day. If it will only be the best you can do, and when your time is up and the next generation say, right, we really are done with you, move on, please, you gracefully step aside. There is no sense of ego in this job. It's just a job. And the moment ego gets in the way, I think most probably um, your time should be up anyway. But um, yeah, it's not most probably not dissimilar to politics. Emma, thanks for that. It's interesting you're talking about, uh, you know, you're in it for your for your time, and then you, uh, and then you, when you're ready and they're ready, you hand over to the next generation. Talking about the next generation, your lovely daughter Violet, I believe, has been recently involved with standing um, to be on the board of the National Trust. Um, Sadly, I know she was unsuccessful in her bid, but I'd love to hear a little bit about your thoughts on uh, the trust and maybe some of you, you know, secondhand some of her thoughts on why she wanted to stand and and what she thinks the role of the National Trust is in preserving houses um, that, that are no longer in the family. Well, I don't know if I can answer what she feels her role of the National Trust is, because I think they most probably need a bit of shaking up. But uh, and she would certainly have moved in and done that. So they've lost out big time by not having her on their team. But we'll talk about that another day. Um, but uh, what what was your other question? Um, oh, it was just talking about the, what, what you think. You know, you could talk about the. I suppose why why it's different, for example, visiting a house like Beaver at Christmas time compared to visiting a National Trust property at Christmas time. Why would you say? our listeners should should go to private homes and historic yeah. houses, association houses, rather than well, National Trust properties. Simon Jenkins is a great friend of mine from Abu Dhabi, where he has a holiday house near us. And um, and I, I remember when he was involved with the National Trust more than he is obviously now. And he said, you know, what you have is what we want. I said, well, what's that, Simon? And he said, well, you're living, breathing relics of the homes. And that's what we've lost because we've got rid of them in the National Trust. And so I suppose when, when you visit a National Trust house, you're visiting something that's been frozen in time, sadly. So some of them are moving that story on a bit, but many of them were fixed because a house, whether you like it or not, is a woman. And the woman is the heartbeat of any home, whether it's the size of Beaver or the size of anyone's home you know my farmhouse back in wales five bedroom farmhouse the heartbeat was my mum the heartbeat of beaver is still me 
and the children still get frustrated if I'm away too much. They say, Mom, I can't believe you've let that go. I say, well, I haven't been here. <laughs> but you are the heartbeat of a home, and that's what we have, and that's what the National Trust has lost. And they'll never regain that, and that's our USP. So when I talk to people throughout the world, what is it magic? And so many people, Jeff, come to Beaver, and they think no one can actually run this. Who could ever afford to run a place like this? Well, that's why it is this internal reach into your you know, inner soul to make these places work because you have to reach deep. You can't think in a normal way, um, but we do make them work. And, um, and I'd say that, 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 that that's the flag I'm really flying with this new foundation I'm launching in America for private heritage. The National Trust, is a wonderful organization. It needs shaking up, but they haven't got us, the owners of private homes who make the family pictures come alive, who talk about the ghosts, who talk about the issues that they have with the draft, the drips in the ceiling. You know, all those things are very real, but they make the visit real. They make, you know, the, the football that's left in the corridor. The dog that's cocked his leg up against a pillar or a curtain. I'm sorry, all those things make it real. And that's what we live in. We live in real heritage. And on that, it must be tricky um, opening your home to the public. Uh, how do you balance um, keeping it a private home, which it is, but also a public home? How how, how do you find that, that, that relationship? I mean, I, I know you, you love your job and you love... Uh, sharing what you have with others but how do you sort of um, how do you keep it feeling like your family home um well we're lucky here Jeff it's beavers big and so it's far easier than some of the smaller houses to make the distinction you know we do, I don't have to have people going into our bedroom and and so that there is an element of privacy but we're open for a, you know about 180 days a year so um that's good what i think what you're asking is yeah no i i'd say in the beginning um for me not for the children because they were so young they just got used to it i had to learn to share my moods and my feelings and everything with uh, there being always someone there and if you're a private person you, you can sound so spoiled saying it but you do have to learn to live in a public space and uh, there was an, a famous story one Saturday morning when we had the Globus coach going around the castle and they were going up the, the the ballroom stairs and our laundry room was just below that. This is some years ago and I hadn't thought about the Globus coach so ran in my nightdress across the corridor to find some underwear from the laundry room below and the American visitors looked down to, oh my God, gee, there is the Duchess. So there's always that element of surprise. <laughs> and it would make an amazing carry-on film because, of course, you, you have to have a sense of humour with heritage because otherwise you go berserk. You know, my office is in this office that you're looking at now. This this was a butler's bedroom. 
and it's off the uh, kitchen and a corridor that goes down to the tea rooms. Well, the tea rooms was the old servants' hall where all the servants had their meals and the stewards' restaurant was where all the butlers and the stewards who were the, on the hierarchy in the castle, they were up here. But this was a butler's bedroom and numerous times the public... When you see a door that says private, everyone wants to go in it, don't they? So they come into my office, and I thought, oh, and that's just how it is. Oh, hi, hi. No, sorry, this is private. But you, you've just got to do everything with an element of, um, yeah, well, a fun, to be honest. And talking, talking of fun and talking of the butlers um, and the stewards and the, and the servants' halls, um, we talked a bit about what it's like for you spending Christmas as a family now and what it might have been like 100 years ago. What would it have been like? Would, would the, um, you said that, you know, even 100 years ago, uh, your predecessors would give them um, uh, all the, everyone on the estate a present. Would the servants have their own Christmas party? How would it, how would it have worked 100 years ago? With oh, that? yes. Yeah. So we've got our own beer cellars here and the family obviously didn't drink beer. So uh, the, uh, they would have had in the old servants' hall and a large gathering at Christmas and the jugs would have been filled going down the centre tables and party time. Just like the Beaver um, team, and there'll be about 150 of them going to the Dirty Duck on the 18th of December to celebrate. And the Dirty Duck is the pub in Walsall. So uh, very little has changed, most probably. And funny enough, even the numbers are relatively similar because although... We've reduced ourselves considerably. We have so many people who want to be volunteers now. And that was really an idea that I took from the National Trust. You know, we're open to the public. We are not, we're just about, we wouldn't be breaking even with our castle opening business. And we have so many people who want to support our heritage as guides and they work in our libraries, they work in our gardens as volunteers and so they'll all also be there. Emma, may I ask whether as the Manners family is multi-generational and going back many centuries on the estate, are there other roles on the estate, whether it be farmers or gamekeepers or perhaps staff within the house that are also um, have been on the estate for many generations? Oh, yes. So we still have, the, as you say, the keepers that have been here. For, but are the people still here that have been yeah, here? The yeah, the same family. So we've still, yes, the, the tenant farmers have been here for hundreds of years. So obviously there is a real revolution happening at the moment in agriculture, not dissimilar to the beginning of the 1800s. And as a historian, I'm sure you, you're very aware of that, Connor. Um and so, um, you know, we'll just see how things go. It's a difficult time for tenant farmers, as we know at the moment. Um, yeah, so tenant farmers for hundreds of years. We have um, we have got our own, it's called the Earl of Rutland Hospital Trust, which was set up in the 1600s. And it's a retirement foundation that was set up then for people who'd worked here, which I've expanded and built a retirement village in Walsall, which is just down the road from Beaver, in the old stables um, for the kennels. Um, but all those people, many of them have been here for many generations. Um, we had a butler who we sadly lost the other day who'd been here for 60, 70 years. We've had... Um, yeah, well, uh, the guy who lets all our cannons off, 
his great grandfather was here as a butler. So there are generational people that are still here today. Yeah. I, Emma, I just have, I, I can't let us close this podcast without asking you um, what happened when McDonald's um, wanted to establish itself in Rutland. Connor mentioned this before the podcast, and I, I really want to hear that story. Well done, Connor. I'd like to see someone who's done their research. So, yes, I went on that dreadful breakfast program with that awful gentleman, Piers Morgan, who I have to say is quite amusing off the camera. But on camera, he was terrifying. And I had not briefed myself in any way correctly. And my PA was overzealous about being on TV. And she said, oh, you'll love it. You'll be fine. And when I got there, I said, well, what, what's the debate about? And they said, well, McDonald's in Rutland. And so all I could think about were our delightful pheasants and making them into... So I, what I really wanted to try and portray, but it's great to be able to repeat it now and get it right, was that, you know, wouldn't it be great if all local McDonald's, instead of supporting, um, you know, chicken farmers from wherever, the carbon on that chicken McNugget is goodness knows what, they supported in country areas the pheasants shot on the shoots. And I said, wouldn't it be wonderful? I said, oh, Lady Snoggerso's has um, you know, got her pheasant. Ha, ha, ha. Call in the butler. And that was Piers Morgan. So, well, his happy Christmas to you too, Piers. <laughs> Very good. Thank you so much, Emma. We're so grateful for your time, That especially with your uh, tiredness and jet lag that you'd come and spend half an hour with us and, we wish you a very happy Christmas and remind everyone to go and see, if you can, the 12 days of Christmas um, up at Beaver and uh, enjoy yourselves there. And thank you very much and Merry Christmas to our listeners as well. Merry Christmas to everyone from Beaver Castle.